We are the paradoxical ape. Bipedal, naked, large-brained. Long the master of fire, tools, and language, but still trying to understand ourselves. Aware that death is inevitable, yet filled with optimism. We grow up slowly. We hand down knowledge. We empathize and deceive. We shape the future from our shared understanding of the past. Carta brings together experts from diverse disciplines to exchange insights on who we are and how we got here. An exploration made possible by the generosity of humans like you. My name is Joe Hasia, and I'm on the faculty of the Keck School of Medicine of USC. And today I'm going to be talking about phytanic acid metabolism. Our objectives are to discuss the bioenergetic challenges of a larger brain size in humans relative to non-human primates, to describe anatomical differences in the guts of human and non-human primates relevant to energy metabolism, to discuss how the branch chain fatty acid, phytanic acid, can be obtained through dietary sources and catabolized in primates, and finally to relate phytanic acid levels measured in blood specimens to human and non-human primate diets and physiology. One of the overarching questions that has interested my lab and many, of, many others is what are the metabolic repercussions of a large human brain? And as a result of this, over the past several decades, there have been numerous hypotheses, the most impactful in my opinion, is the expensive tissue hypothesis that was formulated by Leslie Aiello at the University College London and Peter Willer at Liverpool John Moores University. And they related gut and brain size with the idea um, that suggestion that the metabolic requirements of a relatively large brain are offset by a corresponding reduction of the gut. So in this particular nice figure summarizes it from their paper, we're looking at the direct uh, connection of the smaller gut with the larger brain, uh, providing increased energy availability to fuel the metabolic needs of the larger brain. And this is also tied in with higher quality diets, which can increase energy availability and reduce bulk and cause more rapid assimilation of foodstuff in, this, in, in the smaller gut. And this is also related to the evolution of more complex foraging behavior. And in addition, with the higher quality diet, there's been a, a whole um, field of research about the uh, evolution and the development of meat eating and cooking in the human diet, and how that uh, can potentially impact the energetic needs of a larger brain. Now, the expensive tissue hypothesis has been subject to much discussion like any other good hypothesis and has led to many different modifications and different um, alternative hypotheses. However, I am 
very in, impressed with the impact that is made in this particular field because it really spotlighted another difference in human and non-human primate anatomy, and that is that of the digestive tract, which has both similarities and differences across humans, orangutans, and humans, as shown in this particular in this particular slide. You're seeing a very similar architecture of a of a small stomach which is then uh, connected obviously to the small intestine and then the large intestine over here in all of these three um, panels. However, you could see differences in the, in the proportions of the gut or the relative proportions of these various components of the gut. So in the work of Catherine Milton in, at UC Berkeley, and she had a nice paper in the Journal of Nutrition in 2003, where she quantified the relative gut volume of in gibbons, siamangs, orangutans, gorillas, chimpanzees, and humans of the stomach, small intestine, cecum, and colon. And I want to highlight over here the, the massive differences or dramatic differences, I should say, in the relative gut volume um, of the small intestine in humans relative to the other non-human primates in this particular uh, chart here as well as the diminution of the colon size in, in humans relative to the other species. So one of the questions this uh, begs is, how does this relate to energy metabolism in primates? Well, it turns out the microbial fermentation in human and grade eight hindguts, which is gonna also be comprised of the, of the colon and large intestine, the, they're involved in breaking down complex carbohydrates that are not processed and absorbed in the small intestine. And the major products of hindgut fermentation are short-chain fatty acids, which are uh, energy-yielding substrates for colonic mucosa that regulate its growth and blood flow and promote sodium and water absorption. Now, great apes can, in the wild, derive significant levels of their total daily metabolic energy from fiber fermentation, as shown over here in wild chimpanzees, orangutans, and Western gorillas and the ranges from 7% up to about 60%, mainly in the higher um, uh, area of that range. In contrast, humans on Western diets are thought to obtain no more than 10% of their daily energy needs through hindgut fermentation. And it's likely higher in populations with lower quality diets and in instances of small intestinal malabsorption. Now, what about other products of gut fermentation of of plant materials in addition to these short-chain fatty acids. Well, phytanic acid is another product of gut fermentation of plant materials in certain mammals. And the star of the show here is chlorophyll, which is a, 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 a most abundant molecule in, in nature, which is going to be a major component of um, the foodstuffs of individuals who are uh, ingesting plant materials. It turns out in ruminant animals, such as a cow, the gut fermentation of plant materials can break down chlorophyll by the liberation of this particular side chain to phytol. And this is happening by the activity of microbes in the guts, in, in the, in the guts of these uh, ruminant animals. And phytol itself, in all land mammals surveyed today, can be oxidized to a molecule called phytanic acid, which is a branch chain fatty acid which is stored in ruminant fats and is also present in certain dairy products. Chlorophyll itself can also be in the marine food chain 
through the digestion of phytoplankton by zooplankton and krill, and which is then converts it just similar to land mammals to phytanic acid. And once it gets in the food chain, it becomes present in certain fish, marine mollusks, and whale fats. Now, in contrast, humans cannot produce appreciable amounts of phytanic acid by chlorophyll catabolism. And this is classic work in the 1960s of individuals who are actually fed radio label chlorophyll and shown that it, it passes through the, the system with uh, limited modifications, if any. Uh, humans themselves, though, can obtain phytanic acid from marine and terrestrial food chain. And phytanic acid, though, provides no uh, known health benefit to humans. So this is the key here, that obtaining phytanic acid from the marine and terrestrial food chain, knowing that humans historically have had um, much greater consumption of meat and marine products relative to that of other great apes. This is a brief uh, depiction here of a simplified digestive system of a cow who's ingesting grassy material, which would then cause their um, exposure of chlorophyll in the rumen to be then um, uh, by microbial activity to be converted to phytol and then stored in fats as phytanic acid. Now, phytanic acid itself is broken down in humans and other non-human primates in the liver, and it's broken down in a metabolic organelle called the peroxisome. So phytanic acid is a branched-chain fatty acid has an unusual mechanism of being catabolized. It actually first gets, gets converted to a CoA ester, which gets imported it itself, this CoA ester, into the peroxisome. And the activity of an enzyme called phytonol-CoA hydroxylase, PHYH, which I'm going to get back to in a few moments, is involved in it converting into some downstream metabolites that are then eventually converted to a molecule called pristanic acid. Pristanic acid itself is now capable of being um, metabolized through standard beta oxidation. Now, this particular pathway I've shown here is the alpha oxidation of fatty acids, which is an unusual specialized pathway. Beta oxidation is more the norm, and beta oxidation in the peroxisomes of pristanic acid leads to medium chain fatty acids that can be exported into mitochondria for beta oxidation to carbon dioxide and water. Now, phytanic acid, as I mentioned, has no known health benefits. However, Phytanic acid overaccumulation can be toxic in humans, which is interesting because we're thinking of humans as being the species that has meat and marine products in their, in their, uh, in their food supply um, through, uh, over historic timeframes. So adult resting disease is a recessive disorder with an incidence of about one in a million uh, individuals in various populations. And it's caused by loss of function variants in this PHYH gene, this phytonol-CoA hydroxylase gene. People with adult Refson disease have impaired phytanic acid catabolism and can accumulate stores of phytanic acid in various tissues due to dietary exposure. And this can lead to a polyneuropathy, loss of vision, hearing, and smell, ataxia, a skin condition called ichthyosis, some skeletal involvement, as well as some cardiac involvement. And what I'm highlighting here is the, the Global Dare Foundation, which has been founded by patient advocates to be able to promote uh, research into adult rest and disease. So we have an interesting now connection between phytanic acid, which is present in the diet, and the fact that 
there is a need to metabolize phytanic acid properly or else there can be severe health consequences. So we became interested in looking at the relative abundance of phytanic acid levels in human and non-human primate tissues. And in the easiest tissues to obtain were red blood cells, the most readily available. And what we did by um, our collaborators at the Kennedy Krieger Institute looked at the relative abundance of fatty uh, phytanic acid in red blood cells relative to all other fatty acids that were present in, this, in the specimen. And we looked at a collection of cohort of individuals, including humans, apes, old world monkeys, and new world monkeys. And what we've shown here are the numbers of individuals in each individual category. In humans, we had included individuals on vegan diets for over a year, as well as on Western diets. The individuals on Western diets have about a 50 to 100 milligram phytanic acid daily intake, whereas those on the typical vegan diet have less than two milligrams daily phytanic acid intake. All the captain non-human primates here have a very low phytanic acid diet, very similar to that of in magnitude of phytanic acid intake relative to vegans of about two less than two milligrams daily intake. And in this box plot, you can see very readily that individuals, humans on vegan diets, by far had the most, um, uh, had the lowest percentage of fatty acid in uh, phytanic acid in the red blood cells relative to other fatty acids. And this is you know, remarkably consistent across all the other individuals on this particular, um, in this cohort. The Western diet individuals um, who are uh, actually the humans showed higher um, levels of phytanic acid as would be predicted. But there are other um, species, including orangutans, which are on very low level um, phytanic acid intake in their diet, and yet they have remarkably higher levels of phytanic acid in their red blood cells. So they're obtaining it in one way or another through their diet in a way that humans cannot do so. Now, the rates of catabolism of phytanic acid in cultured human and non-human primate skin fibroblasts are similar. Here are individuals, human, chimpanzee, bonobo, gorilla, and orangutans, and measuring their rate of phytanic acid oxidation when radiolabeled lipid was added to the culture medium. And what you're seeing here is that there's overlap in the relative uh, oxidation um, of uh, rates of phytanic acid in these particular species. And it's very similar also in prostanic acid, which you might recall as a downstream metabolite of phytanic acid metabolism. So all species sort of robust cellular catabolism of phytanic and prostanic acid. But we did find something remarkable that there are over twofold more abundant level, uh, higher levels of Phi-H messenger RNA expressed in human relative to chimpanzee, bonobo, and gorilla fibroblasts. And you might recall Phi-H is one of the key enzymes that is involved in phytanic acid catabolism. So to explore this a little bit more back in 2010, we did a, a reanalysis of transcriptomic data from tissues obtained from chimpanzees uh, and humans um, which were published by Svante Pabo's group. And we looked exclusively at the expression levels of genes which are involved in phytanic acid alpha oxidation, which is the early stage of phytanic acid degradation in peroxisomes, followed by peroxisomal acid beta oxidation, which is the later stage of phytanic acid metabolism in the peroxisome. 
And we also looked at the genes that are regulated by a transcription factor called PPAR alpha, where phytanic acid is known to actually be involved in regulating its activity. When we looked across these tissues from liver, heart, brain, testes, and kidney, what we found was something that was quite remarkable in, in our opinion, was that there is highlighted in orange are differences in gene expression that were significantly different across the species. So in this particular case in orange, we had higher levels of human transcripts relative to those from chimpanzees. And in green would be higher levels of transcripts in the chimpanzee relative to the human specimens. And those all had um, Bonferroni corrected um, uh, p-values of less than 0 0.05. So this is a robust analysis. And we're seeing higher levels of genes such as um, expression of Phi-H in liver, heart, and brain, and kidney in humans relative to uh, chimpanzees. We're also seeing higher levels of proxies of the transcripts related to phytanic acid, alpha and, ox uh, alpha and beta oxidation in both um, liver, heart, and testes. And corresponding, we also see higher levels of genes that are regulated by the transcription factor PPAR alpha in these particular tissues as well. So in conclusion, relative to humans, diverse captive non-human primates have higher red blood cell phytanic acid levels when fed plant-rich phytanic acid deficient diets, okay? Human great apes cultured skin fibroblasts all show robust phytanic acid metabolic activity. Our favorite hypothesis is that unlike humans, diverse captive non-human primates could obtain substantial amounts of phytanic acid from gut microbial degradation of ingested chlorophyll. And red blood cell phytanic acid levels can provide a biomarker of gut fermentation activity useful for evaluating the digestive health of captive non-human primates. I'd just like to briefly acknowledge the, our collaborators, including individuals in my lab at USC and those um, at uh, in collaborators at Rutgers University, the Alamogordo Primate Facility, Kennedy Krieger Institute, Zoological Society of San Diego, the Southwest National Primate Research Center, funding through NIH, and they'd also have a special shout out, shout out to the Global Dare Foundation, which is doing admirable work trying to find better treatments for individuals with adult breast disease. Thank you very much.